0: Welcome to today's edition of Time in the Vineyard with Pastor Teacher Jeff Torring. Today's broadcast is being brought to you from the pulpit of Liberty Valley Church, Northfield, Ohio. Amos 3, and we'll begin reading in verse 6. Shall a trumpet be blown in the city, and the people not be afraid? Shall there be evil in a city, and the Lord hath not done it? Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants the prophets. The lion hath roared, who will not fear? The Lord God hath spoken, who can but prophesy. Publish in the palaces at Ashdod, and in the palaces in the land of Egypt, and say, Assemble yourselves upon the mountains of Samaria, and behold the great tumults in the midst thereof, and the oppressed in the midst thereof. For they know not to do right, saith the Lord, who store up violence and robbery in their palaces. Therefore, Thus saith the Lord God, An adversary there shall be even round about the land, and he shall bring down thy strength from thee, and thy palaces shall be spoiled. Thus saith the Lord, As the shepherd taketh out of the mouth of the lion two legs, or a piece of an ear, so shall the children of Israel be taken out that dwell in Samaria, in the corner of a bed, and in Damascus in a couch. Hear ye, and testify in the house of Jacob, saith the Lord God, the God of hosts, that in the day that I shall visit the transgressions of Israel upon him, I will also visit the altars of Bethel, and the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. And I will smite the winter house with the summer house, and the houses of ivory shall perish, and the great houses shall have an end. Saith the Lord. For introduction, we would go over to the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter twenty-four, where Jesus teaches a parable—a parable known as the parable of the fig tree. Now, Matthew records just a slight difference for us in the beginning. Instead of just beginning with the parable, Matthew writes that Jesus said, "Now learn a parable of the fig tree." Now this is no new concept. Immediately we realize when Jesus tells this parable of the fig tree that this is an Old Testament familiar concept. We find it in Ezekiel 17, Ezekiel chapter 31, Daniel chapter 4, and then again in Isaiah 55. So Jesus is teaching based off of Old Testament prophets. So he says, Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and put forth leaves. In other words, when the branch is yet green in the springtime, then when you notice that the branch is tender and green and is still putting forth leaves, there's a clue or a signal, a forethought. When this happens, you know that summer is near. So then, likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors." Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of the day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. So what Jesus is teaching is that there are clues. No one knows the hour or the day. But according to the parable, there are clues that are given to us. And then he goes on to say, other clues are, But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. And then he tells us something interesting in 38. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. In other words, what they're doing is, is they're celebrating. It's, it's interesting that he brings up marriage and giving in marriage. Eating and drinking would be a common thing, but he connects that with marrying and marriage and giving in marriage. It's not just eating and drinking, but it's a celebrating. They're living the high life. They're paying absolutely no attention because of such celebration that they are distracted. You have young newlyweds. They have their whole life ahead of them. They don't think of these things. They are constantly thinking of all the things that are before them in the future. So he brings up marriage and giving and marriage because that is a launching point where people have plans and they have future. The irony is there was no future. The flood was coming. All the way up until the day that Noah entered into the ark, they were busy celebrating and living the high life. If we go over to the same parable in Luke chapter 21, he tells us a few more things included in this parable. In Luke 21, it says in verse 29, And he spake to them a parable, Behold the fig tree. But now Luke adds words that Jesus taught. He said not only to behold the fig tree, but it says, Behold the fig tree and all the trees. All the trees means that now Jesus is speaking international. The trees are pictures of kingdoms. The fig tree is the picture of Israel. But now he's not only speaking of watch what's happening in Israel, but Jesus says watch all the trees in an international way. And so he says then in 30, When they now shoot forth, ye see and know of your own selves that summer is nigh at hand. So he says, Behold the fig tree, be observant, watch it. And then he acts as though it would be natural for anyone to see who has their eyes open when he says, Ye see and know of your own selves. But well, when you see that the leaves come out and it's green, that of course, summer would be nigh. Summer would be coming. So then likewise ye, when ye see these things come to pass, know ye the kingdom of God is at hand. Verily, verily, I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And then he gives a warning and says, take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts Be overcharged. Now, what I think Jesus does is speak somewhat in hyperbole here. He talks about your hearts being overcharged. So it's not just your thinking or your doing, but he is referring to your hearts. And he says, Watch yourself. Take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged. And look what he says overcharged with surfitting, an old English word. Uh, surfitting means to be seized by gluttony. To surfeit and to live surfitting means that you, you, you eat so much on a Thanksgiving meal that you're just seized. You, you can't even move. You are so full that you can't even get out of your chair. And he puts these together, notice, Watch yourself, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfitting and drunkenness and the cares of this life. So he puts all of these together. It's not just eating, and it's not just drunkenness, and he's referring to your heart being overcharged with all these things, and he includes it all in one unit as the cares of this life. He's referring to it that these things would be a distraction, and so that that day come upon you unaware. He's referring to the overcharging, not of necessarily a drunkenness or suffering, but he's he's describing the celebration of a wedding. A celebration of a wedding caliber. Think of the, the wedding that planning that takes place, the the music, the hall, the band, the food, the drinks, the desserts, the limos, the hotels, the honeymoon. There's so much planning and so much derailment during the planning and execution of a wedding that sometimes the bride and groom end up splitting up over the pressures of the planning of the wedding. They are so overwhelmed, their hearts are overcharged, with a celebration of life. Not necessarily a bad thing, but in this case, he's warning. Watch yourself. Take heed to yourselves, so in case you would be so distracted that you would miss the fig tree. And not only the fig tree, but all the trees. And not only that, especially you would miss when the tree would be green. Watch yourselves. Watch the fig tree when the tree is green. So with that introduction we can then make our way back to Amos. In Amos, at this time, we just recently dealt with a, a set of rhetorical questions that the Lord asked. He's finishing these, and he finishes up so some of that paragraph with the Lord's sovereignty as the master chess player, using even the devil as a pawn to accomplish what he calls as an evil in the city. And he then says, if the Lord has done all these things in these rhetorical questions, surely, in verse 7, surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. Now, we don't have prophets any longer, but he still does reveal his secrets in a few points of interest. He reveals them by way of doctrine, discernment, and tracking. The Christian, now we have to have strong doctrine, especially our eschatology, and rightly dividing the word of truth. By these, We read in his word and we see the clues of how he reveals his secret. Also in discernment, we need to be perceptive. We have to have observation, eyes, and ears. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. And then also tracking. We need to be able to track what we see and what we discern and what we read. And then not only track it, but we would have to follow up with it and learn more. And then follow through with what we follow up with and learn more to come to the conclusion of the secret that God is revealing. So surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he does reveal his secret unto his servants, the prophets, and to his spirit-filled Christians in our day. Then he comes up again with a somewhat rhetorical question again. So the lion hath roared, We read about that in previous verses. The Lord hath roared, who will not fear? The Lord God hath spoken, who can but prophesy? Now, we're told previously that they, the prophets were stopped, the Nazarites were stopped from prophesying. They tried to shut the churches down. They shut the prophets down. They didn't want anyone to be prophesying. So it's a, somewhat of a rhetorical question. Uh, if the Lord has roared and the Lord has spoken, who can but prophesy? It's similar to Paul at Mars Hill. He was so stirred that he couldn't even wait for Timothy to get with him. But Paul, stirred in the spirit, begins to prophesy or to preach there on Mars Hill. And then look what he says. He says to, in verse 9, publish this. Publish the message in the palaces of Ashdod. Now that's a very difficult task. To publish the message in the palaces of Ashdod and in the palaces In the land of Egypt. So, this task that he is given is difficult. All you have at this time are letter carriers, our publications, word of mouth, small writing pamphlets, and he's wanting us to publish the message in an international way in the palaces of Ashdod and in the palaces of the land of Egypt. It's difficult enough to do that, let alone to actually get to the princes, into the palaces of government. It wasn't easy. Not anyone could make an appointment with Caesar. Not anyone could even make an appointment with Pontius Pilate. You have a very rich man, Nicodemus, who comes to Jesus by night. Because of his wealth and his standing, he is able to get a meeting with Pontius Pilate in order to get the body of Jesus. Not easy to do. You can't just make a a schedule a meeting with Governor DeWine and think that you're going to have a 20-minute conversation to publish what you need to be said. Nevertheless, this is what he tells them to do. Publish this message in Ashdod in the palaces and travel all the way to Egypt and publish it there in the palaces. And then say, I want you to hold an international summit. Say to them... Assemble yourselves upon the mountains of Samaria, and behold the great tumults in the midst thereof. They're having BLM riots. Tumults. The average people are rioting. Conditions are so bad for the poor that there are tumults in the midst thereof, and the oppressed in the midst thereof are holding riots. And the fact is, is... They don't know what to do, because in 10 it says, For they know not to do right, saith the Lord, who store up violence and robbery in their palaces. Society itself is totally falling apart, and in some ways you can't blame them. They don't know what to do. The injustice is so great, the oppression is so great, the violence is so great, I would have to say, I probably would be rioting too. If somebody killed my son or took my son captive or unjustly incarcerated our children, I probably would end up throwing a grenade rioting myself. So you can't necessarily blame them. They do not know to do right. And then, of course, to make things worse, in verse 11, an enemy comes. They're on the brink of an invasion. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, An adversary there shall be even round about the land, and he shall bring down thy strength from thee, and thy palaces shall be spoiled. So now we have war from within, and war from without. And then the Lord paints for us, in verse 12, a gory scene. To express to our emotion the reality of the scene. Look in 12, he says, Thus saith the Lord, As the shepherd taketh out of the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear. So what we have is the shepherd is defending one of his flock, and the wolf, or the lion, is actually got a hold of one, and he has begun to eat it alive. He's ripped through the flesh, the sounds, the sights, the smells, the gore of the blood splatter as the lion rips through the torso of the animal. He's eating it alive. He's ripped through. That's why, so when it says that the shepherd taketh out of the mouth of the lion two legs, probably that's his back half. The animal has been ripped into two. You have the back half of the lamb of the animal the the two legs the guts have been exposed the blood the flesh is tore and also a piece of an ear again illustrating the gore of the scene he taketh out of the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear now this explains to us the bravery and the valor of the shepherd The shepherd is involved. He is literally pulling out of the mouth of a lion pieces of his shepherd. He is defending the shepherd. He's defending his sheep so diligently that he's actually fighting off the lion. And this is an earthly shepherd. If an earthly shepherd would do such, how much more the heavenly shepherd, the chief shepherd, Aren't you glad that our shepherd is a dangerous defender? He is armed thy rod and thy staff. They comfort me. But then he brings up something interesting, a little maxim of the day. He says, Thus saith the Lord, As the shepherd taketh out of the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, So shall the children of Israel be taken out that dwell in Samaria. Look what he says. In a corner of a bed and in Damascus in a couch. He's referring to those that are in a place of comfort. The corner of the bed or in the couch. Those that live in luxury. Which then reminds us of our key verse of Amos, Amos 6 1. Woe to them that are at ease in Zion. We are at a place in the country that is in a catastrophe. We are in a crisis. And so he says, Woe to them that are at ease in Zion. You should be doing something about it, not just sitting on the couch. Or sitting in the corner of a bed in a place of luxury, you should be using your assets and your wealth and your power and whatever it is that you have in order to comment, to execute a rescue. And so then he says, hold a church meeting. In fact, verse thirteen: Hear ye and testify in the house of Jacob. Thus saith the Lord God, the God of hosts: Gather up the heads of state, have a church meeting. Do something about what's about to happen. That in the day that I shall visit the transgressions of Israel upon him, I will also visit the altars of Bethel, and the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. Again, he's referring to their idolatry. They need to do something against the wickedness of the land. And just to reaffirm the problem, verse 15 He speaks of something that is so important. And I will smite the winter house with the summer house. He's again referring to those that live in luxury. The people at this time were in such prosperity that they had more than one home. And the Lord so sadly says, I will smite the winter house with the summer house. And the houses of ivory shall perish, and the great houses shall have an end, saith the Lord. Those that were wealthy enough, snowbirds, had the capability to make a difference, and they didn't. This reminds us, and should give us a fresh reminder, then, of the last time the Lord roared. And you'll find that in Luke chapter 23, when we come to the crucifixion. It says, And there followed him a great company of people and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus turning unto them said, Daughters of Jerusalem, Weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. Now, why would Jesus say that? This is the worst day of his life. He has been scourged. He is so battered and bleeding that more than likely some of his internal organs are exposed. He's carrying a cross down the road, falling beneath the load, about to be crucified. And he tells them to weep not for him, but weep for themselves. And not only for themselves, but to weep for their children. And he explains in 29, For behold, the days are coming, in the which they shall say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bear, and the paps which never gave suck. And they shall begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. It will be so bad in the future. It will be way worse than an actual crucifixion and scourging. And so Jesus says then a very interesting part. He says, for if they do these things in verse 31, for if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? Again, consider the fig tree when it is green. And then remember Amos, for three transgressions and for four, I will send a fire. Have you ever tried to burn something that is green? It barely burns. But if you burn something that is dry and stubble, the fire roars through. Jesus is comparing this day with the future day. As horrible as the crucifixion was, if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? You've been listening to Time in the Vineyard with Pastor Teacher Jeff Toring. Today's broadcast was brought to you from the pulpit of Liberty Valley Church, Northfield, Ohio. For more information, you can call the church at 330-554-7606 or check us out on the web at libertyvalleychurch.org. That's libertyvalleychurch.org.